0: Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22, we're looking at the various uh, characters of the hall of faith, the heroes that are mentioned here that exemplify for us in Hebrews chapter 11 what it means to live our lives by faith. And we've looked at several. We've looked at the faith of Abel and the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, and the faith of Abraham. Now, We look at three together this morning, the faith of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. The faith of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Let's look together, uh, beginning at verse number 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. I'll be honest with you, this week in my study, I really struggled with trying to understand these three individuals and how that God would highlight them for us in Hebrews chapter 11 as men who are great examples of faith. Because to be honest with you all, three of these men are marked notoriously by weaknesses. These are men of failures, men of struggles, men with a great deal of sin in their lives. In fact, none of the individuals who are highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11 have a spotless record We may not know very much about Abel and Enoch because little is said about them and their life here on earth besides what we know and what is highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. But the truth of the matter is all of these people in the hall of faith are imperfect people. Yet what they're honored for, especially Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they're honored for the fact that they died having lived their lives by faith To the very end. Uh, The emphasis of Hebrews chapter 11 on these men is that over the span of their lives, they live by faith. It's not so much whether or not they got everything right their whole life. What's true about the sinful parts of their life doesn't cancel out what is true about the faith part of their life. That even though they were imperfect men and women, they matured in their faith all the way to death. And that is the emphasis. The emphasis is on the fact that over their life, they matured in the faith. And when they died, they died in the faith. They died still believing. And that's where we come to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These are three men who possessed true faith. And the reason why Hebrews 11 highlights them is because it is showing us the validity of their faith. And how does it show us the validity of their faith? Well, by how they died. By how they died. We started this thought of dying in the faith. Last week when we were looking at the life of Abraham, particularly in verse 13, you have your Bibles open there in Hebrews chapter 11, look what verse 13 says again. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. In other words, even though they did not get to see the universal fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, they all died believing that God was going to keep the promise. They all died believing that God was going to do what he said he would do. So they died. And when they died, they died believing. They died in faith. I don't mean or or intend to bring about a morbid cloud over our thoughts today, but I was recently challenged with the idea that one of the responsibilities of a faithful pastor is to prepare the people under his care to die. But not just to die. It's my responsibility to prepare us to die well, to die well, because death is an inescapable reality. The Bible says it is appointed for all of us to die. Death is in our future, and there's no way around it. And one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to to help us To die well. You've heard me say this a time or two, especially if you attend any of the funerals that I am asked to lead. A saying goes like this, in life there is the tender 20s, the thrilling 30s, then the fiery 40s, then the forceful 50s, then the soaring 60s, and then the sagging 70s. Then there are the aching 80s. Then there are the aging 90s. And then there's death. And then there's God. Funerals remind us remind us of this, doesn't it? There's never been a funeral that I've ever done, whether I'm standing in the pulpit or sitting among everyone else, where I'm not thinking about the fact that life is short, death is short is certain, and I'm not in control of any of it. Death ought to remind you of the very same. It's an inescapable reality. James chapter 4 reminds us of this. He says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is life? Life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then poof, it vanishes away. You see, the reason why many of us do not like to think about death is because we're afraid of dying. Over the past 21 months in our world, especially in our country, it is vividly clear to me that this world is afraid of dying. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. I pray that in God's good purposes and plans for my life, that it does include a long life to live. I hope that's a part of his plan. I don't know what his plans are for me, but I know somewhere down the road, should the Lord tarry his coming, that death is a part of that. But the majority of this world is so focused on preventing death that they don't have any clear understanding spiritually of how one should actually die when it inevitably happens. We're so scared of dying, we don't know how to die. We're trying to preserve our lives to every means possible. That we're not even thinking about the life that we are to live when it does happen. Now, here's the thing about death. The Bible is the only place we can go for a clear answer regarding death. I don't know about life and death. You'll find the clear answer in God's Word. You want to know how to prepare for death and what's to come after death? You'll find all of that clearly given to us in the pages of God's Word. The Bible is the only place we can go for that. And it just so happens that this morning, that here we are, Hebrews chapter 11, in this study of living by faith, living by faith, living by faith, that God just kind of reaches down and says, well, let me show you a little something about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Because it's not always about living, it's about making sure that our faith is right in place when we die. Because that's what Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph teach us. They teach us how to die. And how to die in faith. So, so follow this as we, as we go through this together. Write down number one. Let's look at Isaac first. Number one, by faith, Isaac died passing down his faith. By faith, Isaac died Passing down his faith. Now think about this. What does Isaac teach us about dying in faith? Well, he teaches us that when death comes, may we be found passing down, handing down our faith, leaving a legacy to our children about the promises of God. In a sense, what's true for one of these three guys is true for all of them. They all died passing down their faith. Isaac to his sons, verse 21. We see Jacob to his grandsons, uh, verse uh, 22. We see Joseph with his instructions to the people for his brothers. But the purpose of Isaac being included in Hebrews chapter 11 is for this very reason. This is why he's even here. Because very little is said about Isaac in the Bible and Scripture. When you go back to Genesis and you trace all of these characters, you'll find very, very little about Isaac. And the irony of that is that he lived longer than Abraham. He lived longer than Jacob. He lived longer than Joseph. Yet less is recorded about him. Someone has suggested that Isaac, now listen carefully, Isaac was an ordinary son of an extraordinary father who became the ordinary father of an extraordinary son, which is another way of saying he was a not-so-extraordinary guy sandwiched between two extraordinary people, namely Abraham and Jacob. Isaac lived a relatively quiet life, and what we probably know him best for is his failures, his spiritual weaknesses, the fact that he had a somewhat passive nature. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? We're talking about the son of Abraham. I mean, after all that Isaac saw in Abraham, how could he live his life so weak spiritually, so passive when it it came to the things of God? He was a believer in God's promises. Don't get me wrong. His faith was there even though his faith was small and his faith was weak. And oftentimes, his flesh took precedence over his faith. And perhaps we note most about Isaac's life when we remember the story of his blessing to Jacob and Esau, which is what is mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, I don't have time to take you back to it in Genesis, but if you want to study this further out this week, write down Genesis chapter 27, because this is where you see the blessing unfold. And the whole thing was was just, it, it was a whole shameful mess, to be honest with you, the whole family. Because the blessing that Isaac is passing down to Jacob and Esau, it was met with trickery and deception by Jacob and his mother, Rebekah. But they're not the only ones with the problem here. Because Isaac was also wrong in that he was obstinate with his partiality to Esau. He liked Esau better than Jacob. He favored Esau better than Jacob. We might even go as far as to say that he loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And this tells you how weak of a man Esau was, Isaac was. You know why he favored Esau over Jacob? Because he was a hunter. You read it for yourself in the book of Genesis. Isaac liked Esau because Esau knew how to hunt. And when he went out to hunt, he brought the best venison home and he cooked it better than Jacob or anybody else did. In fact, it was such a favorable thing to Isaac that on his deathbed, that's exactly what he asked for. He says, Esau, I want you to go out one more time before I die and hurry up, please. Uh, Kill another one of those big deer, if you will, and bring back the meat and cook it like you always cook it the way that I like it. And I'll have one good meal before I die. This is how Isaac was. And we can go through the whole story about Rebecca's dream and how in her dream she understood that Jacob was to be the one whom God would have the blessing that the nation of Israel would come from. But Isaac seems obstinate because he doesn't want Jacob to have the blessing. He wants Isaac to have the, have the blessing. But then you've got, you got Jacob and Rebekah who's scheming and deceiving and planning. And you remember the story, right? Isaac's blind. He's about to die. He can't see who's in front of him. So they come up with this whole plan, this whole scheme. Uh, Isaac's getting ready to give the blessing to Esau, but Esau's away. And so Rebecca says, Jacob, I want you to put a little extra hair on your arms. You know why? Because the Bible says Esau was a redheaded, hairy fella. And so he had all this hair. And so when he came into Isaac, Isaac was to be able to touch him. He knew it was Esau, and he, touched, he ate the meat, and he knew it was Esau's meat. So he gives Jacob the blessing thinking it was Esau, but in reality... It was Jacob. The whole thing is just a a mess. It's a mess. It's a dysfunctional family. All problems. But in the end, it was Jacob who received the greater blessing. And after all, that's really what God wanted. What God had planned was for Jacob to receive the blessing. Now, now, Now put that in your theological mind for just a moment. Because it's another great example of the mystery of God's providence how he works in the world and in our lives. God used Jacob's deceit to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Think about that. Now, was God responsible for the deceit? No, absolutely not. Did it take God by surprise when Jacob deceived Isaac? Not at all. It actually carried out his divine plan. It's a reminder of how God fulfills his purposes. Listen to me carefully. God's purposes are fulfilled by the interweaving of divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and amazing grace. (laughs) That's how God fulfills his purposes. God's sovereignty, human responsibility, and amazing grace. Paul, when he was writing in the book of Romans, was even trying to explain this whole situation. In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he refers to how God chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. He's trying to explain the ways of God and the mind of God. And he gets down to chapter 11, verse 33, and Paul, it's like he almost gives up. I can't go any further. He's trying to explain it. He can't explain it the way he wants to explain it. He's not really fully understanding it. And so he just throws his hands up in worship and says, All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways are past figuring out. That's why when we look at a story like Jacob and Esau and we see everything that's unfolding, we see that yet in our dysfunction, in our dysfunction, God still. Carries out his divine purposes. But Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't go into any of those details, and I've spent way more time on it than we needed to. The only thing Hebrews chapter 11 says about this episode in verse 21 or verse 20 is simply that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. You see, the emphasis is not on the trickery and the deception and the obstinance and Esau and all that. The emphasis here is on Isaac, by faith, passing down God's promises regardless of the drama that was transpiring in his family. That's the emphasis. That's what Hebrews wants you to know. It wants you to know that even with all the drama, all the dysfunction, Isaac was still willing to pass down God's promises to his boys. He wanted them to have the faith that he had come to learn from his father, Abraham. Anybody have drama in their family? Well, you're lying if you say you don't. Every family has drama and I'm going to tell you which ones are the drama cases in my family. We all have drama, every single one of us. Yet, yet in the drama, the focus is on Isaac's faith in passing down the promises of God. It also doesn't emphasize how it was received or, or what each son did with the message that was passed down to them. Now we know, we can go back to Genesis and study it. We know what Esau did, we know what Jacob did, but that's not what Hebrews emphasizes. There's one emphasis here, and it is on our parental responsibility. He's highlighting our responsibility by faith as parents to pass down the promises of God, to pass down the message of God, to pass down the faith of God and leave the response to our children. And some of us need to be encouraged by that. I know in our, our own ho- home, where we work hard, we, 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 we pray, we read, we, we, we have them in church where we talk about God, we sing about God. We're doing everything we can to pass down the faith, to pass down the message of God. But in the end, it's ultimately left to God how my children's hearts are going to respond to him. I can't control the heart of my child. And neither can you, parents. But you do have a Responsibility. And the responsibility is to pass down the faith, to teach them about eternity, to help them understand God and his gospel so that as you prepare for death, they can be prepared themselves to die. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but in the terms of the theme of our text, if we want to die well the way that Isaac died, then we need to, by faith, be right now passing down our faith. I'm thankful for the relationship that I have with my father and my mom. I'm grateful for how that they've invested into my life. He's not just a pastor though to me. He, he was my baseball coach and my basketball coach, and when he wasn't coaching, he was sitting in the stands, and he would take us on vacation. He would have fun with us. Those memories of mine, I just, I just they're just they always, I was thinking about it this morning, even, even when my dad, when we were really young, Jessalyn was too young to remember this, but Jared and I would remember, my dad bought a trampoline for us to enjoy in the backyard, and so he didn't just... Say, hey, have fun. He wanted to show us how it worked because that's what we Blankenships do. we got to show you how it works, right? And so he gets on the trampoline, and my dad's jumping up and down before we can ever play with it, right? And he's showing us how it works. And, And in this process, he jumps up and he does a flip. I remember it as if it was yesterday. Can you imagine my dad jumping on a trampoline and doing a flip in the air? Well, he did, and he made it all the way around. And when he did, he split his pants wide open on the turn. Oh, it gets worse. We lived in a parsonage right next door to the church. It was after church on a Sunday night. Dad thought that everybody left. But here comes a couple walking up the driveway wanting to seek Dad for some counseling that night before they go home. So here's my dad sitting on the edge of the trampoline providing marriage counseling. He can't get up because his pants are split wide open. I look back at those moments and I'm thinking, man, I, I love that. I'm grateful that my dad and my mom were invested in my life. And I, but, but greater than those things is what they've passed down to me, namely what I'm doing today. Loving God, doing my best to serve Him, enjoying the ministry that God has given me, and trying to train my children to love and serve God as well. Friends, if we want to finish well, if we want to die in the faith, whatever God has planned for our children, may it be said of us moms and dads that we were faithful to hand down our faith. That we were to pass it along, that we preached the message to our kids, that we taught the message of the gospel to our kids, and that we lived it in front of our kids so they knew it was the real deal. This is the emphasis of Isaac. By faith, Isaac died passing down his faith. Passing down his faith. Write down number two. By faith, Jacob died leaning on God. By faith, Jacob died. Leaning on God. So Isaac died passing down his faith. The emphasis here on Jacob is that when he died, we see him leaning on God. But but again, what's true for one is true for all. They all died passing down their faith, and they all died leaning on God. But Jacob's leaning here is specifically mentioned and for a purpose. Look at it there in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Again, remember, these individuals are included in the hall of faith not because they lived perfect lives, but because their lives needed maturing, their faith needed to grow, and when it was their time to die, they died still believing God, still following His promises. And that's what brings us to Jacob, and there's some things about Jacob, that I want to mention to you briefly that I just noticed here in verse 21. In fact, we could fit a whole sermon on it. I'm choosing not to, but let me just mention them to you in passing. Number one, there's an emphasis here on his role as a grandfather. Did you notice that? Isaac, Isaac's emphasis on his role as a father. Jacob's emphasis is on his role as a grandfather. It says he blessed the sons of Joseph. The sons he's referring to here are Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob blessed the son. Well, Joseph gets two blessings. All the other sons get one. Joseph gets two. This is why we have the half-tribe of Manasseh and the half-tribe of Ephraim. These are the, these are the grandsons of Jacob, the sons of Joseph. He was, a, he was a grandfather who passed down his faith to his grandchildren. I'll just say in passing this morning to the grandparents in our room, this This ought to be a determination in your heart to be that kind of grandfather, grandmother. It's not enough just to pass down our faith to our own children, but we have a responsibility to pass down our faith to even our, our grandchildren. I love the fact that when we're together with my parents or my wife's parents that our, our kids can uh, hear stories of the faith and what God's doing in the lives of their grandparents. And they know that Papa and Grandma love God. And they know that Papa and Nana love God. And listen, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And if you have a grandparent like that, you ought to thank God for it. Thank God that you you have a grandma or a grandpa that not only has a candy drawer hit around when mom and dad aren't there, you know, but but you also have a grandma and a grandpa who love God and love you, and they're constantly pointing you back to Jesus and and challenging you to live by faith in Him. Listen, let's not pass this up too quickly. That in this season of our lives, grandparents, our responsibility is not over. Maybe it has only just begun as we seek to pass down God's faith, the message of the gospel to our grandchildren. So there's an emphasis here on his role as a grandfather. There's also an emphasis here on his worship. It just simply says that Jacob, when he was dying, worshipped. Worshipped. I think that's important, importantly noted. We would assume that of any believer, right? A believer worships. Abel showed us that. But here it's specifically mentioned that when he was dying, his grandchildren saw him worshiping, worshiping. And I just kind of wrote down in my own thoughts this week as I was studying this that the most important thing my kids and grandkids will ever see me do is worship. Do you believe that? Oh it's great to pass down your expertise and your trades and your hobbies and all that kind of stuff. That's great. I do it, you do it, we should all do it. But more importantly than anything else is what they see in us in our worship. And sometimes you don't even have to tell your kids what it is you worship. Just live your life. They'll tell you what you worship. Jacob's dying and when the whole family's gathered around as he's getting ready to breathe his last breath, what do they see Grandpa doing? They see him worshiping. Oh, what a great legacy. He died so well. He died blessing his grandchildren. He died worshiping. But to me, the biggest emphasis here in Hebrews 11 about Jacob is that he did all of this, all of this leaning on his staff. You see, over the course of his life, Jacob had a lot of pruning and maturing that God needed to do in him. You know why? You remember this story of his life? Well, you go back to the blessing. He was a manipulator. He was a deceiver. Now, he knew God, but he still deceived people. He was blessed by God, but he seemed to always be scheming, always cooking something up. But one night in Genesis chapter 32, and I encourage you to go back and read it. In Genesis chapter 32, one night, Jacob experienced the fight of his life. He had a wrestling match with God. It was a night-long struggle in which Jacob saw that his life had been filled with pride and self-dependency. He needed to be humbled. And that's exactly what God did. God humbled him that night. They wrestled. They wrestled emotionally. They wrestled spiritually. And believe it or not, they wrestled physically. Because the Lord pulled Jacob's hip out of joint. And from that point forward, for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. No longer strutting around in his arrogancy looking back at his life and how he had schemed his way to everything that he had. No, no longer puffing his chest out. No, he's he's been humbled. Everywhere he goes, he limps. Everywhere he walks, he has a staff. Every day he has that pain. He's being reminded of the man that he once was. He's being reminded of the man that God wanted him to be a humble man. That, that limp reminded him that he needed to be an honest man. That he, that he needed to be fully dependent upon God. And so Jacob learned to lean on his staff. And while he was learning to lean on his staff, he was ultimately learning how to lean on God. Sometimes God has to break us in order to use us for his purposes. He does something in our lives to teach us to trust in Him and stop trusting in ourselves. And unfortunately, this type of life transformation that happens, it, it oftentimes can only happen when God does indeed break us. It's in my opinion that every true giant of the faith walks with a limp, leaning on a figurative staff. You see, most people look at this account in Jacob's life, and that night he wrestled with God, and they believe that Jacob's greatest blessing that night was that he received a new name. And he did receive a new name. You remember? Jacob was no longer called by God at that point, Jacob. His new name was Israel, which is where the nation of Israel comes from. He got a new name. But his greatest blessing, in my opinion, that night was not his new name. His greatest blessing was that he received a limp. Because from that point forward, he no longer ran ahead of God. He walked with God. From that point forward, he no longer leaned on his schemes and his intellect, he he leaned on God. I've been forced in my own life to wrestle with God, it's not fun. It's not fun when God points out sin in your life and then underscores it with pain. It's exactly what he did with Jacob. He showed him his sinfulness and gave him pain to remind himself of it. I don't walk as arrogantly as I used to walk. I don't walk as self-dependently as I once did. Don't get me wrong. I'm still a work in progress. I got a long way to go. I recently had a conversation with a family that I had not seen. Well, I had seen them, but had not been a part of our church life in 14 years since we began. And I put my arm around both of them. And I said, I just want you to know that I'm not that guy 14 years ago that you once knew. I said, God has broken me. I'm not as arrogant and immature and full of pride. I said, God God has changed me. And I'm not saying that to cause you to come back. In fact, you're happy where you're at. You stay where you're at. I'm just letting you know, I walk with a limp now. And thank God for the limp. I'm still a work in progress and so are you. But I can assure you, I'm leaning on God more in my life than I've ever leaned on Him before. And that's what we see about Jacob. He didn't go to his grave leaning on himself. He died with his whole family watching him. There's Papa. There's Dad. And he's still leaning on God. When it comes your time to die. When it comes my time to go. May it be said by my church and by my family that he died leaning on the Lord. Oh, by faith, these men teach us how to die. I told you, I didn't intend this to be morbid. I'm just, this is where we're at. He teaches, Isaac teaches us how to die by by keeping on passing down our faith. Uh, uh, Jacob teaches us how to die by always leaning on the Lord. Finally, by faith, Joseph died believing God's promises. Joseph died believing God's promises. Again, one final time. They all did this, right? They all passed down their faith. They all leaned on God, and they all believed God's promise. But here we have something specifically noted about Joseph. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. And then he gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph is one of Kathleen's favorite characters in the Bible. I'm sure she's thinking this this week as she's even studied herself, wondering of all the things that God could have said about Joseph in the hall of faith, this is what he chooses. We're we're talking about the guy who was thrown in a pit by his brothers to die, then sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, sent into prison, and then left there. When when he was promised they would get him out, they forgot about him. I mean, there's a lot of of things about Joseph's lives that we could highlight. He did that by faith. He did that by faith. He did that by faith. But the thing that God chooses is how he died by faith. It's fascinating to me. And I want to bring you some context to this because many of you know when you study the life of Joseph, he he spent all of his adult life in Egypt. All of it. His brothers. Sold him into slavery. He's brought into Egypt. He spends his whole adult life there. And at this point when he's about to die, it had been about 200 years since God had made his initial covenant promise to Abraham. 200 years. Four generations removed and still no complete fulfillment of that promise. Israel's living in bondage in Egypt. The promise had not yet been fulfilled. It would have been easy to say that these men should have lost hope. These men its no big deal if they would have given up and tried some other means. But 200 years, four generations removed, here we find Joseph dying. And while he's dying, he assures his brothers, he assures the people that God is going to redeem Israel. And God is going to bring them out of Egypt. And he says, you know why I know he's going to do that? Because he promised he would do it. He promised it to dad, and he promised it to granddad, and he promised it to great-granddad. He said he was going to do it. I believe he's going to do it, and I don't want you to lose hope either. That's how Joseph died. Let me read the verse to you in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. This is, this is the last moments of Joseph's life. Genesis 50, 24, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely take care of you. Oh, What a, what a, what a great thing to say if God gives you the grace to have that moment with your loved ones. I'm dying, but God's going to take care of you. Joseph said, I'm dying, but God's going to take care of you. And out of this land, to the land of which he has promised, he will bring you. What faith. But listen carefully. It wasn't just empty words. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Go ahead and lay me down to rest. No, no, no. He put, as it were, his money where his mouth was. He gave evidence to his dying faith and the validity of it by giving them instructions about how to take care of his remains, his bones. He says to them, don't bury me in Egypt. Put my bones in a coffin. Put them in a box and leave them there. In fact, don't even put it in the ground. I want it up where everybody can see it. And when God does come through on the promise and he does bring us out of Egypt and takes us in the land that he told dad and granddad and great-granddad that we'd have, I want you to make sure that you take my box of bones with you. Because I believe that's where God will lead our people. His faith, along with Abraham's, Isaac, and Jacob, it was, it was future-oriented, Right? He anticipated the fulfillment of God's promises just like many of you are anticipating lunch right now. He is anticipating the future of God's promises. And they believed God for what they could not see. And they believed it all the way to death. Do you ever think the people ever began to doubt that promise? It would be another 400 years, by the way. Do you ever people mock you when you tell them you're a believer? Oh, yeah, you people, you've been, you guys have been looking for Jesus for 2,000 years. ain't come back yet. When are you going to quit thinking that he's going to do this? Why do you believe that mess? You know, why are we here today? We're here today because we believe it's going to happen. It may take another 2,000 years, but we believe in our hearts that God is going to keep his promise. He is coming back. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be another 10 years. Who knows what God has planned? But I believe Jesus said, Lo, I am coming again. And when I come, you're coming with me. I believe that. But that doesn't mean there are moments in my life where I'd not wonder Is all this really going to happen? Is it going to be happening the way I think it's going to happen? Are they right? I'm sure the people of Israel had those same thoughts. I can see a little boy right now walking around the tents. Sees this box sitting in the middle of camp. Hey, Daddy, what's that box? Oh, that's Joseph. What do you mean that's Joseph? Yeah, that's Joseph. That's Joseph's bones in there. Daddy, why are we putting Joseph's bones in a box? Let's put him in a tomb like everybody else. Put him in the ground. Why? We don't want to see this. It's weird, dad. It's weird. No, son. This is the very reason why he said not to bury him. He said every time you ask and every time we see it, we can remember that God is going to keep his promise. That he is going to lead us back to the land. And guess what? When we go, we're taking the box with us. Do you believe God's promises? They talk about the assurance of our salvation. And I'm closing. Listen carefully. How do I know? How do I know I've been saved from the wrath of God? I believe God's promises. That's how I know. How do I know that there's a heaven and I can live with God eternally in his presence? Because I believe God's promises. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is the person of God and and He lives inside of me because I, I believe? I mean, I don't feel what other people say they feel. How do I know? How do I know He lives inside of me? Because I believe God's promises. That when I come to faith in Him, He saves me from the wrath to come. He builds me a mansion in heaven. And He comes to live inside of me. I believe God's promises. And may we believe it until we die. That's Joseph's testimony. It's all of their testimonies. It's Paul's testimony. Acts chapter 20. He said, when I finish, he said, when my last breath is taken, I want it to be taken testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. I want to die preaching the gospel, Paul said, because I believe it. Do you believe the gospel? If this was the last week of your life, the last month of your life, the last year of your life, you die as many over the last 21 months have unexpectedly faced are you prepared will you die well will you die in the faith passing it down to my children leaning on God And not for one instance doubting what he promised. It's an inescapable reality, but one in which we can embrace not with fear, but with faith, not with regret, but with joy. And that's what God wants us to know in the hall of faith through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Death is coming. But the heroes among us will die believing God to the very end. Oh, may that be our testimony this morning. And if it's not yours, I want you to know. That we can change that today. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to spend a few moments here at the end of the service. Just showing you how to trust Jesus by faith in him. And to believe those promises. Until your dying breath. May God help us all. To have that testimony. We never know. What a day. will bring forth. Let's stand together for prayer.